Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Achtung, achtung, uh, or alarm, alarm. Um, welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. It's January the 2nd, I believe, when this is going out. Uh, last time we spoke, Jim, when we were talking about HX231, we then like went into like a, like a full-on... A monster rabbit hole. Yeah, and I'm looking at pictures of rabbits right now on Wikipedia. Yeah. Brachylargus idahoensis, that's a pygmy rabbit. Yeah. Nessalargus nepcheri, that's a Sumatran striped rabbit. Did you know there was okay. a Sumatran striped rabbit? I think what oh, we want um, is the biggest rabbit. Oryctolargus cuniculus is the European rab- rabbit. Um, okay. Um, Amani, uh, the Amami rabbit, which is Pentelagus furnessi. Anyway, the point is, we went down a great big rabbit hole, a gigantic, gigantic rabbit hole. Completely overran. Completely overran, completely overshot. Um, and we thought that rather than rather than tack that on the end of to the end of HX two three one, who uh, God bless them got got home, um, and that's an extraordinary story. And we thought we'd pair, slice this off, pair this off as sort of cold turkey leftovers from our Christmas edition. Isn't that right, Jim? Yeah, exactly that. Um, uh, and, uh, and and yes, and and obviously since then, further thoughts on the subject that we're about to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> last week when we talked about this uh, on my phone up pops a message from the colonel if you want to read up about the merchant navy in world war ii richard woodman <laughs> has written a series of books about the atlantic mediterranean and arctic oh my god a, just don't 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 stop he is there. a master mariner and an elder brother of trinity house so knows his stuff Signed, Grandpa. There you go. Okay, Richard Woodman. Richard Woodman's Richard Woodman. books. Oh, okay, I, 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 I don't want to speak ill of people at all because I'm sure he's an absolutely delightful fellow. But <laughs> but the books are, they're just unreadable. <laughs> they're so thick. They're so dense. They're so devoid of any human drama whatsoever. Oh, well. But they got all the information in them, right? Yeah, they got all the information. <laughs> it then proceeded on a course of... At oh, four twenty. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes you sometimes you you, you trip across. He did one called Malta Convoys. Right. They're all there. Okay. Every single one okay. painstakingly one. worked through. Every single one. What's Every interesting moment. is in this the yes. Royal Naval the Royal Navy Officers Pocket Handbook. I'm looking for Merchant Navy in the index. I like the bit about the letter. Uh, go on. Um, this is how one should write a letter. A private letter to a senior officer. Dear Commander Jones, I should be grateful if you could arrange for my sextant, which I left on board, to be forwarded to the above address. I hope you will forgive me bothering you, but you told me to write to you 
in case of any difficulty. I have been appointed to co uh, command at last an MTB, and I am enjoying it greatly. I should like to take the opportunity of thanking you for all that you did for me and all that you taught me while I was in your ship. With the experience I have gained, I feel quite confident in making a success of the job. Yours sincerely, Lieutenant X, RNVR. It's very classy. How to write a letter in the Navy. Always start the letter with dear, then the rank of the officer, and then his surname. Nothing else. Dear you're Captain either drunk Holland. or you're sober. <laughs> Always end with yours sincerely, never yours faithfully, truly, etc. Really? Never, point three, never splash the letter with sir. The word is not necessary. Finally, and above all, keep your correspondence up to date. When you're going to write a letter, think what type is required and adhere strictly to it as shown in the above example. <sighs> a guide to working a sun site. Excellent. It's, I mean, it's all in here. Tidal stream triangles, navigational aid memoirs. Um, formal a, service a, letter. Artificial respiration. There's, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's everything. Care of non-public funds. <laughs> the framework <laughs> of discipline. The grade of order, the written example, the spoken example, the observance. So grade of order one, the imperative. The written example yeah. is the captain's standing orders. The spoken example, do this, repaint the whaler today. The observance, immediate execution. Yes, some fantastic <laughs> acronyms I love it. as well. Two, so the, the grade of order is the grade two is the volative instructions to OODs in harbour, etc. I wish you to do this. I want the whaler repainted at the first opportunity. Execution, yes. uh, observance, execution, unless there appears reason not to. In which case, representation to CO. And then there's the admonitive, the third, the third class of um, order. Captain's memos, notes on the use of, aid memoir on, advice on. So the spoken example is, I suggest you do this. Isn't it time the whaler had a fresh coat, number one? The observance, voluntary execution, disregard of which may be a little tactless. Yes. No, no, you never want to lose lose tact. No. Some great acronyms as well. Do you know what, what NCSO is? No, what's an NCSO? Obviously, it's the Naval Control Service Officer. Oh, oh this is really good. This is one I want. I want to be this one. The VSO. <laughs> Right, what's that? Is a vittling store officer. Oh, yeah, that's who you want to be the VSO. Absolutely. Don't you? Yeah. Or what about yeah, the FOGMO? <laughs> the FOGMO <laughs> is the fitting out gun mountings officer, obviously. Oh, that sounds like, that sounds pretty good. I want to be a VSO. Here's a rabbit hole. Go on, so I'm re I've been reading this amazing, this amazing book, um, w w Wings of Pegasus, this, by, by this oh, yes, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Lawrence Wright, worked 38 Group. So he just, he just, all the stuff about how they figure out how to fly a glider by moonlight, up moon, oh, down moon, what kind of lights okay. you get at different stages of the moon, like the, the sheer effort that went into that on a, like on a, you know, on a monthly basis, they'd get a glider up at night and they'd have a look at what the moon did and all this sort of stuff. Then the stuff right. about the, the Eureka and the um, Rebecca beacons, which is the, so the Eureka, Eureka is the thing that you use for pathfinding. So basically the pathfinders land like independent company style, they land, they, they put down the beacon and it's a, and the Eureka beacon doesn't transmit until it's, it, it's just sat there receiving. So it's not letting the Germans know where the Eureka is, right? Yep. Which is, which is clever. What happens is the plane sends out a thing saying, um, where's the, where's the Eureka? The plane's Rebecca sends out a thing going, where's the Eureka? And the Eureka replies, right? And they get so good with this bit of kit. 295, so trusted this aid, 295 squadron, so trusted this aid, trusted this aid so completely that a Whitley flew one night across its home airfield at 300 feet in full moon with the, while the fair flare path and obstruction lights were lit, 
and its navigator, trusting Rebecca above eyesight, dropped 80 unhappy paratroops on the roofs surrounding the signal section where a Eureka under repair had been left switched on. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. so basically, they're so used to homing on the signal that he was like, yeah, it must be here. This is where it is. I'll drop the guys here because even though he dropped them on the roofs of an airbase. And then they get into the... It's like they, completely the wrong place, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because someone's left one switched on. So they're in that, anyway, so they're at Bulford and Netherhaven. So all around Salisbury Plain and all, you know, near you, they get into, they get, there's some sort of um, stuff that happens, some hijinks or sort of the, the different organi- different bases and people winding each other up. The inmates of Bulford camp may well have become sensitive to overhead dangers. A passing fighter pilot thought it bun- fun to beat up the parade ground and every man dropped flat except the sergeant major who was killed. So that's someone coming over in a Spitfire at no feet. Yep. I mean, Jesus. And then yeah, the Lark Hill artillery that. range bordering Netheravon offered the army some chance to get its own back. It was uncomfortable to fly over. We would sometimes request a ceasefire during an exercise, but no aircraft were, was ever hit and pilots became casual about nipping smartly across. There used to be arguments as to whether you could, really could see a shell in the air. You could. Literally watching the shells come up. <laughs> Drop, drop down, down again yeah from his aircraft it's incredible absolutely incredible wow this whole stuff all this stuff going on in the sort of r&d side all the effort and, yep. and you know he's near port and down so he goes and sees what they're up to and, and, and uh, just really amazing behind the scenes stuff really really interesting and yeah well that's fantastic well, it's, it's, again i kind of i just i just feel you're coming at this with a kind of a, a very kind of fresh set of eyes and because you're doing this this 24 hours in detail you can go into the kind of detail that lots of people just haven't bothered to look at and well, that the, gives or, or, different perspectives had, for the whole thing i had the space it's the space it's the space well I've yeah, not got, of course i mean i've got to do the other eight days you know um well trust me i'm very sympathetic to that i've been finding i've been finding all sorts of sorts of german stuff for italy which is really good oh uh, yeah including the autobiography of General Valentin Furstein, who was commander of 51st Mountain Corps. Oh, yeah. Uh, Vega de Flicht, which is sort of, I think, means means orders mislaid or something. You know, right, okay. Right, misled okay. or whatever. Anyway. Oh, but so I've also basically, got a, uh, I'm a lion led by a donkey. Is that, is that what he's trying to say? Well, he was very much in Rommel's camp in the kind of, you know, let's just right. defend the north of Italy kind of thing. Okay. Um, and didn't want okay. to be sent down, but... but did and did, anyway, I mean he, you, you know, he wasn't just, to be fair to him he wasn't tried or anything like that I mean he you know he lived to right well late. well here's the thing so I listened to I listened to your appearance on uh, the rest is history for for fun because um, I thought well you know what's he what's he saying behind my back just so struck by the Rommel wanting Rommel saying well we'll hold the thing to do is hold the north right very sensible he's in the north. So he's saying, I want, I want command of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, of course. I mean, he'd be, let me, uh, let me make if he was in the South, he'd, he'd, he'd say, saying, let's hold the South. The South. Yeah, of yeah. course. So, because so, I think that's, you know, the, 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 that's the other thing to remember about people like Rommel and Kesselring is they want to be in charge. They want, they want, yeah. they want, they want to be the guy, the fewer rings, even though that means the hairdryer probably. And that means being told you absolutely must hold this village to the last round, even though you're thinking, well, that's a waste of time and people, you know, they, they want I, to I be find the amazing thing is, is just how, how much everyone disses Kesselring. You know, yeah. you know, we, the allies and, 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 and Anglophone historians have, have put him on a, you know, said basically he was a good German smiling Albert and all the rest of it. And, and you know, yeah. he sort of got off pretty lightly, but on his own side are going, this guy's shit. <laughs> it's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, you know, they don't yeah, respect yeah. him because he's a, because he's a little of achievement. You know, it's, it's a problem. If your commander in chief is, is kind of, you know, disliked and 
disrespected and all the rest of it. Yeah. I have also yeah. come across this amazing piece by by Mark Clark, written on the twelfth of December. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the thing you sent me some quotes from? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I think so. So he goes um, um, uh, with a, with a conviction that it is necessary at this time to give more intense and thorough consideration to the attitude of mind of our soldiers towards the German troops against whom they're fighting. I'm writing this letter to all general officers and separate unit commanders in the Fifth Army to discuss briefly some of the salient points involved. Regardless of any ideas to the contrary, the fact is that this war is not a sporting event. It is a grim, bitter, bitter conflict that has been forced onto the decent and kindly people of the world by an outlaw nation, Germany. This nation deliberately decided to abandon decency and friendship between nations and to adopt national piracy as its policy. When the Nazis needed partners in crime, they chose the Japanese, who bombed Pearl Harbor while their diplomats grinned in Washington. Thus our country was drawn into the most ruthless and expensive war the world has ever known, a war affecting every individual of our nation, and in which members of our armed forces have been sent to the four corners of the earth to fight it out with the dictators. The mission of our forces is to end this war as quickly as possible and to do it in such a way as to prevent another such destructive world upheaval, to make it impossible for the perpetrators of this world war and the last one to repeat their crime, to ensure, in fact, that after this war, the people of our country will be able to live in their chosen manner without um, restriction by bandit nations abroad or the necessity of fighting these nations periodically. In short, to win this war for keeps. How can this mission be accomplished? Ministering such a crushing defeat to the Germans that they will loathe the leadership which both deceived and tyrannised them. The military beating which is given them must be so violent and terrible as to provide a permanent lesson of the folly of provoking a war with the United States. We of the Fifth Army, like all our colleagues in other armies and theatres, must drive our attacks into the Germans with such relentlessness and smashing force as to implant for all time in the minds and memories of the German army and people an indelible respect for our military ability and power. It is my firm belief that only by this means can we fulfil our grave duty to provide in the prosecution of this war a prevention of the next. Yes! And it goes yes! on. Yes! I mean, but honestly. I just think... think well, I kind of think this is the attitude we should be taking to Putin. Is my own personal view, but but you know. Well, I know that Jim. I met a lad. I met a lad at the weekend who's uh, uh, drives challengers. Yeah, he, he no, wasn't. I quite said, the same well, how many, I said, how many? How many? Danny, how many have we actually got? Well, you know, I mean, uh, the thing is, our our regiment. The, the, I mean, the ones we've sent to Ukraine, they all worked. <laughs> and then and then he goes and then there's the ones in Germany you know there's the the ones in Germany and they they're maintained by civilians and apparently they all run quite well but you know if we go out on exercise and two two days later they've all broken down now I'm like oh yeah oh, well done that's great isn't it i mean that's really cheering well i i tell you what well, mark, mark Clark would take no truck with that whatsoever no i know i know i mean i haven't also- finished to be honest is there's more i <laughs> really <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying. Um, I have sometime heard it said German people are all right, but that their little clique of leaders are the real war criminals. I do not agree with this view for one minute. A nation always gets the leaders it wants and deserves. 
if Hitler, Goering and Goebbels were not actually supported by the German people and above all by the German army whom we're fighting, they would not stay in power overnight. But the final proof that cruelty is an instrument of the German people can be found in the treatment of, by German troops of helpless civilians in every country where their soldiers have marched. Death by starvation, murder by violence and looting have all been applied by the German forces wherever they've passed and whenever they have brought have thought their ends would be served by these methods. As our troops advance, they enter villages that have been destroyed and looted. It is a familiar sight to pass pathetic old people, homeless, seeking refuge with only such possessions as they can carry with them. We are indeed fortunate that although we were attacked while still unprepared for world war, we fight on foreign soil. Does each soldier realise that it might have been his hometown, that had it been his village, the bent figure would be his mother? This war must be fought through to a guarantee that this will never happen again." Due to the concerted and ruthless ambitions of our foe, our soldiers have been required to leave their peaceful homes and go into the battle thousands of miles from their loved ones. They can only end this war and make possible their permanent return to their homes by exterminating so many German soldiers that the rest will quit in fear of death and never dare again to engage us in combat. Every soldier in the Fifth Army must realise these things if he is to do his job. His job is, very simply stated, to kill Germans, either by using weapons against them or by supplying or helping some other soldier to do the same thing. Any soft ideas of sportsmanship or fair play will result only in the death of our comrades. We have not been sent here to give the Germans a fair chance. When did they ever give anyone a fair chance? We have been sent here to kill them. Our men must kill Germans as they would kill rattlesnakes or scorpions. We must destroy the enemy wherever we find him. The only exception is the German who surrenders. You see, Jim, this that really rem- the core of that. You know, we're here to kill Germans. Really, really reminds me of um, you know Patton's uh, uh, yeah stuff because he's a, he's. A, but what you've got there is completely it's completely different because Patton's whole thing is you know Americans don't lose. We're the toughest sons of bitches in the war, and you know that guy at the telegraph pole. He knew that he was more frightened of me or the enemy. You know all that sort of thing. Clark's laying out a moral case there. He's not. He's also he, he, but there's also simmering anger and frustration, isn't there? Yeah, not but, even but simmering. It's, more, it's bubbling it's, over. It's moral anger, righteous moral. That's a righteousness and moral anger, rather than a kind of gung ho thing. There's nothing gung ho about any of that. One of the, I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is, is he what he what Mark Clark understands in that speech is what war is in a way yeah. that perhaps when you hear it out loud like that is sort of striking and difficult to deal with. And, you know, you look at you look at our, our experiences in the last, you know, as a nation in the last 20 years of the wars we fought, you know, the two Gulf Wars and then Afghanistan. No one would ever have talked about either of those wars like that. No one would have ever gone, gone near it, would they? They'd, they'd, have, no. they'd, they'd have not been able, able to, would they? Rhetorically or in terms of... In terms of, you know, if they were trying to state a case for what we what we need to do about the Taliban. If someone talked about the Taliban like that, it would might have been seen as kind of wildly gauche. I, I really think I think I think Mark Clark is the towering figure in this story. Yeah. I, I really, really do. He's got the world on his shoulders at the end of nineteen forty three. He's got he's undersupplied, undersupported, he's got a hell of a task on his hand, and yet he is the commanding general that goes into the centre of Rome when it finally falls on the 4th of June. The casino story is, you know, is obviously everyone's story. Everyone who's involved in it, it's, it's their story as well. I, I just do think, you know, him above Alexander, who is the army group commander, and, and above any of the other senior commanders, I think I think Clark is the towering figure because it's been on his side of the country. And the, and the triumph of Rome really is not 
it isn't Eighth Army's fight. I know the Poles are part of Eighth Army and they take Monte Cassino eventually, but actually, you know, this is going to be sacri- seem like sacrilegious. But 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 the Germans are bugging out because it is finally, you know, the line's finally collapsing in the valley because because it's untenable because of what what the FEC, the French, and and the US Two Corps, which is part of Fifth Army, have already been doing, and and the, and the destruction of Fourteenth Army before Rome is absolutely Clark's doing. And it is Fifth Army that enters Rome. So it kind of just feels like, you know, since that's the ultimate objective and the and Fifth Army have been on this side since the whole time, you know, Clark just does feel like the towering figure, I think, really. Jim, that, that's, you know, that's the that's the reciprocal bearing of most of the, you know, you're sailing in the opposite direction to most of the history, right? It, it, it's really interesting reading his contemporary accounts because 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 on the 12th of, you know, on the 13th of, of, of February, so two days before the bombing of the monastery, he puts it on record. He says, I disagree with bombing the monastery, you know, but, but, but if you, Alex, are telling me that I have to do, you know, that we have to do it, then, you know, you're my superior and then, then that's what we have to do. We have to do it. And I appreciate there are politics involved and that Freiburg is New Zealand and that you need the New Zealanders in the fight. And I get all that, but I want you to know that I think it's a mistake. I think it's a bad idea. You know, so this is not him kind of being wise after the event. You know, it's what he's saying at the time. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just, it's all very interesting. I mean, he's clearly a kind of, you know, very, very difficult man. He's vain and ambitious but, but and, James, and prickly but James, and all those things. But James, I'm going to take a tiny bit of credit here. I think this is me rubbing off on you. I have never cared that Montgomery is regarded as an arsehole. Yeah. I've never cared that he's seen as this sort of appalling prig who upsets everyone. Yeah. And makes and also that he has made some mistakes. I mean, point me at the general who hasn't made any mistakes at any point. But I don't think it matters. I don't think it ma- Clark is clearly good at transmitting something to his men that means the men will fight for him and, f- and do what he needs them to do and be effective. And he's good with his commanders. You know, he's good with his the, the people around him, his peers. Right. So, so he's incredibly decisive. I think that's the point. He doesn't dipper. He kind of, you know, he 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 collects information. He listens to other people. Then he makes his his mind, and he and he sticks yeah. to it. And you know, you can't. It's not like he's rigid. He's not rigid at all. He, he but he, but he's you know, he's clearly very very smart. He's very bright, very articulate. Yes, he is prickly, and 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 he's got a chip on yeah, his but, shoulder and all those kind but, of things. But 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 but. <laughs> Whatever. So what? I just I mean, think. What, you know, I always think. Flip it around the other way. Kesselring is probably an ab. You know, is a horrendous bloke to have to deal with on lots of levels. But is he good? At, is he a good general? After all, this is I what we. I, I believe not. No. Well, there we are. You see, but this is the but this is the point, isn't it? This is where, in the end, where we where we have to end up is: are they good? At, are they good? At their, are they good? Are they effective in the way they in the way they run a battle? And Clark's battle is it's. I mean, it's literally all uphill. Literally yep. under resourced because of overlords. So I mean, I might be. Touching a bit, bit of a handful in that situation, you know. It's, yeah, well, it's, is- it's been really useful having these conversations because it, I'm I'm really trying to kind of organise in my mind how I construct this 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 narrative. And I think actually, you know, I always do a prologue in my book, and I've been kind of, I've, I have actually started started the book, but I haven't done the prologue yet. And I and you know, I always want you you always want the prologue to be a kind of a mood piece. You know, the, the, when I did Savage Storm, it was Hans Golder going through the beautiful Italian countryside, and you know, there's a sort of wistfulness about that because you know, if you're reading a book about the war in Italy, that all this is going to be ruined, <laughs> and and that's that was the whole point about doing that. You know, and I and I but I've been really kind of worrying about what, what you know what who is my focus, and I I rarely have have Brits in the in the in the forward. I quite often have Germans. Or Americans or whatever, but I think in this case I'm going to have I'm going to I'm going to start it with this. I think I think I'm going to start it with this piece. This this is his stall. This is this is the you know the huge responsibility to his shoulders, all that kind of stuff. The challenges he's facing, 
um, and set it up for that because because then your your narrative art works because at the end of it it is him in the center of Rome. It's Alexander's triumph, but above all, it's Clark's because it's Fifth Army and and his army is the one that's faced the kind of the toughest fight in kind of in that side of the of the country. You know, things have gone gone well, things have gone badly, but he's still there, and and you know, it's it's a kind of vindication, I think, of a lot of his of his methods, particularly since you know and the irony of that, of course, is that for so long he's been he's been vilified for bizarrely for what is the greatest land victory that the allies have had up to that point in the war it's just bizarre that he should be the villain of the peace when it's a victory yeah isn't that also a product of a society that's allowed to be critical of its generals you know well i suppose so yes i can't remember who it was said that you know any a a healthy society doesn't remember the names of its generals it forgets who they are you know or whoever i can't remember who said that yeah yeah something like that clever smart ass said that which i rather like the thing i'm right in the middle of writing and joey warned us to stop now is i'm writing about how you take a Lee Enfield um, with you. It's a rifle from 1905, and you're using it in 1944. Not no, a, you're a, still using it at King's School Bruton in Somerset in 1986. Yeah, exactly. It's not up to the job. <laughs> <laughs> I remember firing it. I could strip one of those things down, oh. put it back together again. Well, well, that was lots of fun. Positively warrenous. Yes. Uh, Jim. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what? That Clark stuff, it's thrown up so many, it's thrown up so many thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More to come in nineteen in in twenty twenty four. Eighty well, years after the magnificent year nineteen forty four. Well, and what's going to happen in nineteen forty four is that that's what's going to happen to Germany. What Mark Clark's talking about. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. That right. by the end of the you year, reap what you it, sow. By the end of the year, its cities will be rubble. You know, you, you're talking about a set of circumstances that results in whatever it is, one in three of the men from nineteen twenty two being dead. Yep. Men born in yeah, horrendous. Whatever, it's whatever absolutely that, horrendous. Horrendous, and that's what that's what that's what Clark's talking about. That's what we're going to have to do, chaps, and that, or yep. or guys, and that's what is that's exactly what happens. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Have a very very happy New Year, a prosperous twenty twenty four. Um, we've enjoyed your company. Um, I hope as much as you've enjoyed ours, and we'll see you hopefully on the eighteenth and twenty first July at uh, We Have Ways Fest. Fear um, invasion yep. stripes all round. Yep. Uh, thanks again. Have a good one, Jim. Merry Christmas. Happy New Happy Year, Year, everyone. Year. Yep. yep. Cheerio. Bye. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. 
I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.